Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I am Kervin. And today we will be covering all the big geopolitical stories of this week, which our listeners are well aware of. That's what we do. But I did want to take a moment and say hello to all of our new listeners because we've had a big influx of people just giving us a listen. We just want to say hello, thank you for spending some time with us. (laughs) Yeah, it means a lot that you would listen to this tiny little independent show yeah. uh, to get your news from. Um, yeah. So anyways, just wanted to give you guys a shout out because we appreciate anyone who gives us a listen. So let's get right into it because there have been huge stories happening this week. So come on, Carvin, tell us what's going on on our little planet. So obviously we'll do Russia, Ukraine. That's our running theme over a year now. But I do want to talk more in depth about Chinese leader Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin in the meeting that they had this week. As well, the former president of Taiwan is going to be in China next week doing a tour of that country. We'll get into the implications of that. But just like everybody else, the Japanese prime minister decided he was going to go on a little trip. And he went to Kiev during the meeting between Putin and Xi. And after that, the meetings are over. We'll get to North Korea, which is firing more and more ballistic missiles. They're just ratcheting up all of that. Then we'll talk about the UK who's sending depleted uranium rounds to Ukraine. We'll talk about how Russia feels about that. I guess I'm sure you can guess how they feel about it. (laughs) Then we'll do some US, some American or United States stories. We'll get into the implications of the US sharing intelligence with India. And then we will talk about something closer to home, something that that I really enjoyed seeing, and that was the American hostage that had been in captivity in Africa for six years, and he was just released this week. So, wait, before we get started on this, I do have a question. Why don't, why aren't we covering, <laughs> covering the story that Russia and China are making plans to kind of monopolize space and make it to where no one else can go into space (laughs) why are we talking about that that is that's good i mean we we will get into that down the road Uh there's a lot of stuff still classified oh okay that's going on just because of that realm and the kind of technologies that are used in that realm so i was i was just wondering because i think it's hilarious that anyone could think they own space but I guess, if anything, Star Trek has taught me people will try to own anything. (laughs) It's (laughs) funny you bring up Star Trek. Or Doctor (laughs) Who or, you know, all the spacey shows that we watch. Well, we don't watch Star Trek. We watch Doctor Who. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Uh, Trekkies. (laughs) Space is the final frontier. Oh, yeah, true. You are going to see a lot more coming out from us about sort of the, the space story. 
Yeah. But that's going to be further down the road. That, I just thought that was, that's so wild that yeah. Russia's like, y'all can't go here. Only we can. What? No one owns that. Yet. Still. All right. Elon I, Musk. I'm a little, well, Elon Musk <laughs> isn't trying to like keep everyone else out of it. He's trying to encourage more people to actually explore it. That is Isn't true. He? Yes. Okay. Um, I was yeah. like, am I getting this wrong? Because I don't <laughs> hear your response. And I also can't see your your cute face right now because my thing's covering it up. But my thing, the stuff I'm looking at is covering it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shut up. Let's get into it. I'm saying shut up to me, not you, by the way. <laughs> I'm not trying to be ugly to you. I know. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just Sorry. think it's funny. <laughs> that I'm talking to myself. Yeah. This isn't par for the course. My Bulky Blender was such a pain to use, I ended up hardly ever using it at all. But the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender makes blending so easy and convenient, I use it just about every day. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cord. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a Blendjet 2 to complement just about any style. I absolutely love the Lisa Frank edition. What are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. All right, <sighs> let's get into it. Let's talk about it. What's going on in Ukraine? So, you know, we discussed over the last few weeks that fighting in Ukraine kind of slowed down a bit. Yeah. Get those big offensives come out from Russia and then it's kind of become a stalemate. So it does look like both countries appear to be reconsolidating troops in order to be ready for a planned spring offensive from each country. But I will say Ukraine is currently recovering from that series of missile and drone strikes near Kiev and and also near the nuclear plant in Zaporizhia. Also, analysts are actually suggesting that the tide of the war could actually be turning in eastern Ukraine because that Russian offensive in Bakhmut is seen to be losing <sighs> momentum right now. That as well... You pair that with the fact that Ukraine announced that the country's forces are going to be launching a much-anticipated counteroffensive very soon within the next few weeks. They just announced it, so there won't be any element of surprise. (laughs) Let me tell you what our plan is. (laughs) That could be the element of surprise. What do you mean? We're planning this counteroffensive. It's going to be right here. Just kidding. Yeah. Somewhere else? Much like the U.S. did for D-Day, where they said, this is is where we're going to go. You definitely have to be more creative these days with the advent of social media and, you know, cell phones and stuff like that. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so those strikes on Ukraine came after Chinese leader Xi was leaving his days-long meeting with Putin. 
Do you have any information on the outcome of those meetings? Yeah, I've definitely been paying close attention to that meeting. So uh, coming out of that, the two leaders signed a joint statement emphasizing the importance of respecting legitimate security concerns of all countries. Now, the public message on Ukraine was a call for peace. China's proposed plan, though, has been dismissed by the U.S. and Western nations as just a stalling tactic. How is it a stalling tactic? Well, so the plan actually doesn't include any call for Russian forces to actually withdraw from Ukraine. So um, it could kind of freeze the front lines where where they are right now. Uh-huh. And that's why officials are arguing that it would give Putin the time and space to re-equip and then reman his military. Did they discuss anything outside of the war in Ukraine or did that topic take up most of the conversations. Well, I know they, they talked about space, too. So. Right, yeah, there was some... Let me bring up there space some... again. I'm just so ticked <laughs> off we're not talking about space right now. <laughs> I love that you're talking about space these days. Well, I'm not talking about going to space, Carmen. Ugh. I'm still going to keep my feet firmly planted on the ground because I'm a wuss. <laughs> I thought you were coming with me to Mars. You know I'm not going with you yeah. to Mars, and this has been something that we have discussed multiple yeah. times. Like, I love I mean, you so much, and if you want to go to Mars, go to Mars, but I'm staying here. Matt Damon made it look so fun. No, he grew potatoes in his own crap. That does not sound fun to me. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. But Oh, let's, you're uh... so pumped. All right, look, <laughs> bring it back around. What are we talking about here? <laughs> that's, uh, so, yeah, so... You asked if they if they discussed anything else besides the Ukraine war, that space partnership. Huh. They actually also discussed a, a strategy to disassociate from the U.S. and the West and deepen their own bilateral relationship in order to reduce their vulnerabilities to U.S. global power. So this is it. If they continue down this path, it's no doubt going to lead to a stronger union between Russia and China. I could have said that, and I'm not even Ish. an analyst. So, but is it a mutually beneficial partnership, or do you see one country taking advantage of the cooperation more than the other? So, on the surface, it appears both countries benefit equally. Right. But, so in the long run, I would say the partnership is not mutually beneficial. Like With China probably taking the lead, right, or the edge, you think? Yeah. Can you explain why you think, like, give us more detail as to why you think it is not mutually beneficial long term? Yeah, mainly it's because and you really you nailed it on that one. So it's it's because both countries have different objectives. Uh So Russia and different. They also have like, obviously, Russia has less money. Yeah, (laughs) Russia is less on the economic. Yeah, um, and and so Russia would initially benefit diplomatically and economically. Yeah, especially right that, now when they need it. Right, but over time, Russia will risk becoming a vassal state of China and right. losing its ability to, you know, kind of chart an independent foreign policy on their own. Okay, for those of us who don't know what that is, can you explain what a vassal state is? Yeah, it's. It's mainly it's a country or a state that's controlled by a more powerful country. It's kind of like a small kingdom that owes loyalty to a bigger kingdom or a right. smaller nation to a bigger nation. Uh-huh. And so it has to follow the orders and do what that other country or other kingdom says. So the more powerful country 
is going to provide military protection or economic aid, but in exchange, huh. that vassal state has to do with the more powerful country wants. So, right in the case of Russia being a vassal state of China, it would mean that Russia would have to do what China says, and it would have to follow China's orders, even if it doesn't align with Russia's own interests or priorities. It's kind of like what is happening between Russia and Belarus right now, right? Belarus, of course, being the vassal state of Russia. Exactly. You got it exactly right on that as well. Now, Xi says he's looking to partner with multiple countries to make a multipolar world, which that's kind of, that's a world in which power is divvied up between multiple countries. It should be that way anyways, I feel like. If not saying not, chi- not China taking like the reins and having the most power over everybody and kind of lording over all these other countries. That's what I'm saying. I just feel like more countries should be able to have a seat at the table and have their views heard and not just be kind of, oh, you don't have enough money. We're not going to listen to you. You're dumb. Like Definitely. You know I, I don't think that in society, the society we have now, there should not be a superpower. Right. We should. We, we are a globally connected. I'm going to sound... Oh, One world go. order over here. One world order. Oh my god! That's gosh. not what I'm talking about. No. One world order means there is a hierarchy where the rich control everything that goes on. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about equal ability for all countries to have a say, to come yeah, to the table and have a exactly. say in world events, and that's not what we have right now. Yeah. So, do you think that? This is the plan, the the vassal state, to give multiple countries, the vet, not the vassal state. Do you think that the, the plan, the end game here, is to actually give multiple countries equal power on the world stage? Do you actually think that's what China is trying to do? So I will say that I think that Xi's definition of a multipolar world is different than the actual definition. Yeah. Uh, the way China views it, is under the guise of a strong alliance with Russia and Iran. Um, however, in that world, China is still going to be the superpower. They're going to the be the decision. Superpower. Yes. Yeah. They're going to be the decision maker. The intent in these alliances is to cut the U.S. off and then usher in a world under a more like Eastern worldview. Okay. <clears throat> We've been on this subject for a while now, and I do want to move on to the next topic, but... First, can you briefly explain China's worldview and how that opposes U.S. the U.S.'s worldview? Yeah, and I'm not going to say which worldview. I mean, people probably know which side I, I'm on, <laughs> but I'm not saying one is better than the other, but explaining China's worldview. So their worldview is that the world is beset by change and disorder uh-huh. uh, right now, and that it is the United States who is entirely to blame for this change They don't want any change. They want it to be old school. Yes. Okay. So that's how the United States views the partnership between Russia and China. Uh So they they actually have the same worldview that we're all in change and disorder, Uh but different people to blame. Oh, okay. Because the U.S. sees it as a world in disorder, but it's China and Russia that is to blame for that, especially Russia right now invading Ukraine. I hate to break it to him, but it's all our governments. I mean, I'm not government's fault. uh, I am. I'm going to let you say that loud from the rooftops and I'm going to be right behind you screaming it with you. I'm I'm whispering it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, sticking to the China conversation, the former president of Taiwan will be visiting Beijing next week. What are the geopolitical implications of that trip? It's, I mean, it's going to be huge. This is the first trip by a former Taiwanese leader since the end of the Chinese Civil War in 1949. Oh, wow. The trip is said to be private and it's not in an official capacity. Right. But it, it does carry significant historic symbolism. That former administration, the uh, the KMT, saw they wanted like a warming of ties with China. They were part of that one China policy. But that warming of ties was actually met with protests and backlash in Taiwan. And that's why you have an anti-Chinese president now in, in power. So I'm also going to say that Taiwan is set to hold its next presidential election in January 2024. So you know, this is something to watch for as we cl- get closer to that election. I feel like that is going to be a hugely important election. Yes. Coinciding with Russian elections in March of 2024 and then our elections in November. (laughs) What can we expect coming out of Taiwan in January, though? Yeah, you nailed it. 2024. Huge year. Big Um, year. I don't want anybody January. I don't want 20... any more. Bi- I don't want any more big years. Honestly, well, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I don't want anybody in tw- January first, twenty twenty four, to say this is my year. Just let last, it play out. <laughs> last time that happened, it was two thousand twenty one, and the Capitol got stormed, and that was yeah. fun. That was their year. That was. It wasn't fun. They're all going to prison, <laughs> so it's well. They wish they didn't do that. <laughs> that's also true. So getting back to Taiwan. That election is really a two-party race right now. Leading the way is Lei cheng from the Democratic Progressive Party. Uh-huh. Uh, so the DPP, which is a Taiwanese independence party. So it's sort of this anti-China. It's not really anti-China. It's not like, oh, we hate China, but it's stay away from our borders. We are Taiwan. They're like, let us be. Just let us live. <laughs> yeah, just let us live. Now, the other main challenger, Hu Yui, is from that KMT party. You know, we talked about, just talked about the Taiwanese, former Taiwanese president. That's the same oh. party. Um, so that's more closely aligned with China. Right now, the DPP is is polling at higher numbers, but that could all change by 2024, obviously. So that is going to be quite the year all around the world. Certainly seems that way. Major geopolitical shifts happening yes. in that year. So many diplomatic visits have been going on this month. So let's talk about another one of those visits. Yeah. Japan's prime minister made a surprise visit to Kiev this week, which shocked the heck out of me. Yep. What yeah. are the geopolitical <laughs> implications there? Shocked you, shocked me. I think it shocked, shocked the world. <laughs> the world. Yeah. And that's because it does have significant geopolitical implications. So what it does is it highlights Japan's determination to support Ukraine and oppose Russia, which Japan sees as vital in the face of Chinese coercion in Asia. So Japan's traditional Russia strategy aimed to pull Russia away from China. But the U.S., that Ukraine invasion by Russia meant Japan needed to shift its approach. Now, with Russia and China aligning closer than ever, Japan's getting closer to the United States and sort of dissing itself from both Russia and China. So it really brings into focus this alignment of the power players around the globe. And this trip also coincided with the trip Xi made to Russia, which couldn't have been a mistake, honestly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you think 
The trip was made to publicly contrast the Russia-China relationship with Japan's relationship that they have with the U.S. and South Korea. I am going to get you that certificate for intelligence analysis because you are nailing it in all of these. So you you see these. That's a matter of opinion. I saw someone like comment on one of our posts on our Instagram that said something like how analysts are basically secondary to weathermen. You can get it wrong and you can still have a job. (laughs) I mean, I want, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push back on that. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) And I have been around some bad analysts that have said some wrong things, but we're trying to to move past that. That's why we're trying to do it in an unbiased way. But Mm. we're not. We give our opinions. (laughs) We just want you to make your own opinion that isn't necessarily ours. (laughs) Yeah. You know, got to make your own opinion. I agree with that. I think everybody should have their own opinion based off of multiple sources. So if you're using this as one source, I would say go and use the other ones. Other ones. Yeah, there's plenty of Intel pages on Instagram and Twitter and I guess Facebook. I don't know. We're not on Facebook anymore. (laughs) Yeah. And if you go and if you follow our if follow our Instagram account, see who we're following. Uh Those are the accounts. I would say to follow, you know, Cole at Alcon S2 is is a big one for Indo-Pacific. Speaking of Indo-Pacific, which we are right now, Uh you asked if the trip was was done in a way to publicly contrast that Russia-China relationship. Just to to say where their allegiances are. Yep. You know, And, and you nailed it. It was definitely a contrast to Chinese president making that trip to Russia. So Japan's prime minister, who traveled to Kiev, wanted to show support for Ukraine and then reaffirm Japan's solidarity with the United States, as well as other countries, in condemning that Russian aggression. Now, that is, like you like you talked about, a contrast to Xi expressing support for Russian President Vladimir Putin during his state visit to Russia. So both trips highlight that widening divide over the war in Ukraine. That while Japan, the United States, and those other like-minded countries are united in their condemnation of Russian aggression and that support for Ukraine, Uh China's support for Russia signifies a challenge to the global order and that potential shift in the balance of power. Well, taking into account each topic that we have touched on so far, it really does look like that we are on a collision course for a global conflict, which I know we've been saying that for over a year now, but... With North Korea firing ballistic missiles at a rate never before seen from that country, how do they fit into this global power struggle? I feel like they're kind of like, never mind, I'm not going to say that. No, never mind. Okay. I was going to okay. <laughs> just keep We'll talk keep offline on that one. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll make an okay. Instagram post about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I think you bring up, a f- I mean, that's a fantastic question because it's a great point. And so I know the topic is supposed to be North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. But with that point, I think we need to ask the question, where does North Korea fit in all this? Well, that is kind of what I'm asking you. Okay, so I'll try to answer that from like the China-North Korea perspective. So while China and North Korea maintain a small alliance, tension Uh and even antagonism has existed between them for over 70 years now. Yeah. Um, 
Now, China seeks to maintain its influence over North Korea, like we talked about it this whole episode, right? <laughs> right. But they also want to avoid any actions that could jeopardize China, their own interests. So both countries have this similar anti-Western or this anti-U.S. worldview. But those similar worldviews were kind of put to the test when former President Trump visited North Korea in 2018. When that happened, some Chinese officials expressed grave concern that North Korea could realign with the United States, and that would be at China's expense. So do you still have North Korea as the main geopolitical wildcard? Definitely, yeah. North Korea's pursuit of nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles creates a dangerous situation in which the country could potentially use these weapons or even share them with other hostile actors, any terrorist groups. Now, some see North Korea's willingness to engage in talks and summits with other countries, including the United States and South Korea, as a sign that it's willing to negotiate and make concessions to achieve its goals. But that country also... This is why it's a wild card, guys. Uh -huh. the, the country has a history of backing out of agreements and then violating international norms. And that heightens its status, like I said. That just makes it even more so of a wild card in global politics. And then all the crap they're doing right now kind of yep. elevates their wild card status for sure. Well, I think a lot of people would agree with you. Whereas many countries are discussing <clears throat> how to align themselves appropriately, North Korea remains the one country only worried about their own interests. And by they, I am talking the Kim regime and how okay. they can stay in power, which obviously is paramount for them. Definitely. Let's move to an update on what countries are providing support for Ukraine. The UK this week announced they will be sending depleted uranium rounds to Ukraine. Can you first explain what depleted uranium rounds are? And then we can discuss how this is being viewed globally. Yeah, so depleted uranium rounds are a type of ammunition, obviously, but it's made using uranium depleted uranium. Now they call it depleted uranium because they're made using uranium that has most of its radioactive properties removed. Even though it's called depleted, it's still very, it's a very heavy metal and that heavy metal can be used to make bullets. So what are you going to do with those bullets? Why is it important to have those? Well, when a depleted uranium round is fired from a gun, it can travel very quickly and with a lot more force than a regular round. And this makes it very useful for piercing through thick armor like the ones that we find on tanks. And Russia must be saying this is only going to escalate global <laughs> tensions, right? Again. Right. I got to get that certificate for you. You got to <laughs> we're going to frame it, put no. it right up by your bed. You've you've nailed it again. Don't you ever uh, do that. <laughs> <laughs> and get your doctorate in this. So the announcement did prompt Russia to threaten to escalate attacks in Ukraine, claim that the rounds actually have nuclear components. Right. Now, the claim is false, but the so use of... So it's like of misinformation. They're trying to make yeah, it worse you, than what it... Well, I mean, it's bad for them, I guess, but trying to... Right. And they're, they're you know, playing off of not understanding what the rounds are. So you see uranium and you think nuclear. And right. so they're using nuclear weapons in Ukraine against Russia. Then Russia can use nuclear weapons against Ukraine. Of but course. That, that is false. It's not a, a nuclear weapon or a nuclear munition. But the use of depleted uranium ammunition does carry risks. It does emit low levels of radiation. 
Yeah. There are various veterans from all over in different conflicts where de depleted uranium rounds were used, and they raised concerns about the impact on their own health, getting cancer, things like that. So this announcement definitely doesn't ease tensions in the region at all. It's It, it helps Ukraine, but it's going to increase tensions with Russia. But I'm sure the VA is like, we didn't do that. Well... <laughs> That's a different podcast that doesn't get released to the public. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't mean to snort. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, all right, let me get back on track. I'm just, I only brought that up because, you know, the VA says they didn't do all these things to you, and it's very clear. And oh, we I know hear what. We hear stories all <laughs> the time from other soldiers that have similar issues with the VA, but... All right, this is going off on a tangent. Shut up. Look at me telling myself to shut up twice in one podcast. All right. Well, hopefully, we will see some diplomatic discussions starting, and this doesn't lead Putin to use actual nuclear weapons in Ukraine or anywhere, quite honestly. We don't want those yeah, to be used anywhere. I like the caveat. Yeah, well... <laughs> Obviously, we don't we don't want nuclear weapons to be used. So let's get to the United States talk because there were two really big stories that came out of our country this week. Our beautiful country, the United States of America. First, God bless we, America. God bless America. And we're not being sarcastic. <laughs> we do love our country, even though we talk shit about it because we're allowed to. Yes. I mean, every every it's country's freedom. got yeah. Well, every country's got things they need to work out. We're just talking about them. I'm not brushing them under the rug. So I love it. All right. Hold on. I lost what I'm talking about. Dear brain. Okay. Now I remember. Okay. So let's get to the United States stuff. First, we found out that India used U.S. intelligence to thwart a Chinese conflict at India's border with China, which, what? Right. And so let's talk through all the effects of that disclosure. Yes, like this was unprecedented yes. uh, with intelligence sharing operation. And that's because the U.S. normally shares intelligence with a certain group of countries that it has vetted and it's right. only particular amount of intelligence. So in this case, the information provided by the U.S. government included actionable satellite imagery. Uh -huh. And it was actually more detailed than anything they had done and delivered more quickly than anything previously shared with the Indian military. Okay. Uh, and as a result of this intelligence sharing, the Indian military was able to intercept Chinese positions in advance of the PLA's movements. And this caught the Chinese off guard and it resulted in a quick retreat from the border. Huh. Now, the long-term geopolitical implications of this event are that it demonstrates the shared ambitions of the U.S. and India to push back on Chinese expansionism. This cooperation could lead to further joint action against China in the future. India and China have been friends and foes at the same time for a long time. Now, the, the PLA is generally in like a probing and testing phase. And so what it was so what it was trying to do there and what it continues to try to do is it wants to know how India is going to respond in situations and oh, what it okay. can detect. Okay. I was about to ask what was the reason behind China doing that. Yep. Okay. So that's why they wanted to see how they would respond to them being on the border and messing with them. You know, like, right. with, you know. <laughs> so 
What would be the likely response from China? Well, given China's past responses to similar situations, they're probably going to try to strengthen their military presence in the region to demonstrate its dominance. And that's also going to deter inner in uh, hopefully in China's case, they're thinking it'll hopefully deter any future cooperation between the U.S. and India. I'll also say that China could seek to increase its diplomatic and economic ties with other countries in the region that would kind of counterbalance the U.S.-India alliance. Uh-huh. Um, but overall, though, China is likely to view the U.S.-India intelligence sharing arrangement as a threat to its own strategic interests globally and within the region. And they are going to take steps to counter that in the future. Well, how does this affect the BRICS alliance, which includes China and India? Well, the alliance is primarily focused on economic cooperation. So it's not a military alliance. It's unlikely to have a short-term impact on the BRICS alliance. But it's a great question because the incident is going to have broader geopolitical implications in the future. It's definitely going to affect the dynamics between individual countries within that alliance. So India's closer ties with the U.S. It could potentially strain its relationship with China. That's a key member. Both of those are key members of the BRICS alliance. Also, Russia, another key member of the alliance, may view India's closer cooperation with the U.S. as a threat to its own strategic interests in the region. I will say what it certainly does is it further complicates the already complex geopolitical landscape, not only in that region, but I'll say globally as well. Well, I appreciate you for giving us that rundown. So let's finally get into a good news story from this past week. This is an event that is close to your heart as you have worked this mission in the past and sort of continued the mission when you left the drone program for the personnel recovery program. The event is the release of Jeffrey Woodkey. Is that how you pronounce it? Woodkey? Okay. Who was kidnapped in Niger in 2016. What do you know and can you give your own personal perspective on this? Because you have close ties to both of those programs and you've been to Niger multiple times. So yeah, definitely. So October 2016, Jeffrey Woodkey, he was an American wood. He was a, a an American aid worker, but he was abducted when terrorists attacked his residence in Niger. So that's over six years of captivity. I can tell you personally, it was one of the main missions that we focused on when I was in Niger. That was the one thing we wanted to do was bring it, bring him home. So I said Niger wrong, not well, I said Niger. You, I Niger is is. I want to make English sure I form, pronounce it correctly. Niger. Niger is okay. Okay, next time correct okay. me, please. <laughs> no, I mean it's different wherever you are in whatever language you're you're speaking. I would rather pronounce it in the language that it's given. You know, the language yeah. that it's supposed to be pronounced in. So Niger. Okay. Niger. Niger. Um, All right. So while while I was out there, we did have a few opportunities to actually, you know, we found him and we tried to get people out there so that we can return him to the U.S. and his family. That's the main thing. It doesn't I don't care what country they go back to. Right. We just want to bring them back to their family. Um, But the problem was he was always on the move, not him personally, but the terrorist organization was continuing 
to move him. You know, he was believed to have been held in the Sahel region of Africa. That's several countries. That's Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Chad. I've unfortunately been to all those countries. Not unfortunately. Well, I I say unfortunately because I kind of got into Mali. I didn't know I was going there, and we had to turn around (laughs) really quickly because we had crossed the border. Oh, naughty. Yeah, that happens. But that, so that whole region, it makes it very difficult finding anybody, let alone one person. Like a needle in uh, a haystack kind of thing. Yeah. So it was kind of like, do you remember? I, I forgot where the quote was from, but it was like, oh, trying was, to find the haystack. It yeah. Was from that M- it was from that MH370 documentary where he's like, we're not trying to find a needle in the haystack. We're trying to find the right haystack. <laughs> exactly. And that's what it felt like. If you remember when they said that, we were both like, oh, yeah, that's mm. that's a great quote. Right. Because um, that's what it felt like. What haystack? Where's the haystack? So it was very complicated. That region is vast. It includes areas that are difficult to access due to both insecurity and conflict. Only different militant groups operate in the region, so it makes negotiations and rescues very challenging. Right. I'm going to say that the efforts to find Woodkey involve multiple governments and organizations working together to gather intelligence you got to negotiate with kidnappers, and then you've actually got to locate his whereabouts. But did the fatal special forces raid in 2017 have anything to do with finding Woodkey? Yeah, there's a there's some back and forth on that, and it's still unclear if that raid in Tonga Tonga was driven by intelligence that Woodkey could be found. Uh-huh. Um, so how that all came about was a special operation forces unit was in the area on a mission. They were meeting village leaders. That was the planned mission. Then they kind of they received intelligence of a high value ISIS target being in the area. So I, I mean, I can't honestly can't say if that was in connection to Woodkey. If if it was, hey, this high value target target is holding Woodkey. Uh-huh. Um, but I do know that the Woodkey mission was one of the main missions at the time for us in Niger. Okay. Now, you know, we did it in this episode. And we're going to continue to do this. We talk a lot of crap about government actions. This is mainly from like an overarching perspective. Right. Infringing on personal freedoms. Uh We're totally against doing that. Overall, just being corrupt. Totally against that. Uh, Yes. Anyone not in power would agree with that. Uh But I want to highlight the individual actions aside from the government. So... What isn't usually highlighted when discussing these things are the actions by various people to promote national security. Those are intelligence analysts on the ground. Those are special operations forces fighting the fight on the ground. Right. In in order to promote national security, to protect people, or to bring people like Woodkey back home to his family. Uh, so the negotiations that facilitated this release, I think, should be applauded. Yeah. And so... I'm going to say personally, I am overjoyed to see that he is safe now. It closes that chapter. Yeah. It's wonderful that he finally gets to be home after six, six years. Six like, years. I can't fathom that. No, I can't, can't imagine it. Well, sir, do you have anything else that you would love to discuss with these beautiful people this week? Definitely beautiful people. Love you all. Uh-huh. But we are out of time this week. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. 
We hope you found it informative and engaging. But if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oquin Analytics. And also, if you have a moment, head on over to where you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star review because those can help us be discovered by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And that's what we're here for. You, you still want BS, them to do that? <laughs> cutting out the BS. And now you get to listen to our BS instead. You're welcome. Yeah, but right? we're not going right? to try to make you feel a certain way. Right? Oh, yeah. We're just going to say our opinions. So we don't give a crap if you believe the same way we do. <laughs> yeah. We don't care. <laughs> and we'd love to hear your differing opinion, please. Yeah. School um, us. Well, Tiana and everybody yeah. listening, thank yeah. you so very much. Until next week, stay safe out there. <laughs>